So how many are surprised to see me here and not PR, Pastor Ricky? <laughs> it, was, it was funny. We're, we're continuing in, in the Freedom Series, and Pastor Ricky, to give you guys some context, several, several weeks ago, I had, I had made a comment, and I only made it to Eric, my buddy back there, and we were in the midst of service, and we were in the midst of worship, and we were in the midst of the message, and if you've, if you've been here at Brave long enough, you know that my family and I have been here since day one. And I've had the privilege of leading worship here most weeks, if not all weeks, on Sundays. And in all the five years of us as a church, I'll be honest, I have never once had any desire to bring a message and to, and to take that weight that Pastor Ricky carries every single Sunday for our church. Um, but several weeks ago, as I was sitting in service, I got that kind of like prompting in my heart. I was like, oh, this is new. And I, and I made a comment. I think I made it to somebody because I was like, I'm not crazy, right? So I looked at Eric and I, it was in the midst of the services. And I said, I think, I'm the, I think I should bring a word. I think I should bring a message. And I quickly, quickly followed that up with, but don't tell Pastor Ricky. <laughs> if you know Pastor Ricky and how much he loves pushing us towards the obedience and what God calls us to do, you'll know that I did not want Pastor Ricky to know that because he would never let me live it down. Um, and Pastor Ricky happened to be out. I think it was, it was during the couple Sundays that he was out, and I said that to Eric, and I squashed it. And I was like, all right, that was, maybe it was indigestion or something weird in my, in my stomach. <laughs> but of course, God has this funny sense of humor when he's prompting you to be obedient to something he's calling to do. And that very following Tuesday, we're in staff meeting, and, and Pastor Ricky starts sharing his heart um, you know, for the Freedom Series and all that it was going to entail. And we're like, yes, that's so good, Pastor. That's so good. And he looks at me, he's like, I think you're supposed to bring a message. And he doesn't give me any more details around that. He doesn't say anything. He just looks at me and says, what do you think? I had no rebuttal, of course. And I stood there and I said, well, funny thing. For the first time in a long time, I felt like you're right. And it was like that gut check. <laughs> I was like, because God told me a similar thing, and I thought it was just something that I ate, but apparently it's not. And, and obviously there were other things, too, that happened in the, in the weeks to come that really confirmed it. And I share that story with you to, in that context to really say this. I'm excited to bring a word today, mainly because it wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. And when God takes a hold of something and you're obedient to answer it, that means he wants to bless you, church. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless you, and he wants to teach us something today. Amen? So, of course, being the worship leader that I have been for such a long time, it was so stereotypical for me to want to talk about worship, right? I, of course, I was excited. I was like, oh, I'm excited to dive into worship. I never get a chance to really teach on just worship outside of, of the musical segment that we do. But the further I got into the studying of worship, I realized that there was so much more to it, and I couldn't just sit on worship as a general thought. But I do believe this, everything begins with worship. For the, for the person who follows Jesus, everything begins with worship. But I've also seen, and, I, and I'd ask you, have you ever been in a church worship setting as a follower of Jesus, in a worship setting or in a church, and you feel like you have no idea what to do? You feel like, okay, I'm here, but what, what's, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, I feel like a sore thumb. Everybody else is doing things. And I do believe that partially the church is a little to blame for that, the modern-day church, because we've done 
not the greatest job in the culture that's, that we've set for a long time, and, I, and I'll dive into some of the history of that too, but we have taught that ministering is done by the person on the platform. That the ministry to Jesus and the worship should be done by the person with the microphone. And that's so untrue. I think we're still working out some historical religious baggage in the church today, and I wanted to address it because I think it's so important that we understand the context and why, where we're at so we can understand where God's trying to call his church. We're still working out some of those things. And, and the main thing that the modern church had, had done is we have put mediators to worship, meaning we've put middlemen to worship. We're doing the same thing in the modern church today that the old church used to do in prior times to Jesus, right? If you look at Bible times, the Jews had the Jewish priests followed by the Levitical priests all the way up to now Roman Catholics and then every denomination has kind of followed suit with the same cultural understanding that, oh, we need the priests to mediate on our behalf. We need somebody to stand in between so we can get to Jesus or we can get into the presence of God, which worship is all about. And I'll be honest, when I, when I started studying into that, I was really frustrated. So today, if I get excited or a little bit frustrated, hear my heart, I'm not frustrated at you. I'm not frustrated at the church. I think partially I'm frustrated at the history. I'm frustrated a little bit at myself because I think I felt some conviction when I realized that we have set a culture that directly opposes what Jesus died on the cross to do. Jesus died on that cross, so there would have to be no mediator. You accept him, and through him, you get to God, and you can enter in his presence. You don't need a priest. You don't need anybody to stand between you and the things that God has for you, and that's good news. But culturally, I think we still carry a little bit of that mentality. All right, so going back to the Levites, the Levites were the old mediators of the Bible times who could enter into the presence of God, and they helped people meet with God. They were the special group. Select chosen people, just like the Jewish priests before them, just like a lot of the church denominations that have followed since. And I think they had good intentions. If you read a lot of times is they wanted to keep things holy, right? They wanted to keep things set apart. And they were so scared that, oh, if we offered easy access to the word of God, the truth of God, even worshiping, if you, if you take some time and do, do some studies, you'll see that the word of God was only printed in Latin. So only scholars and elite groups in society could even understand it, so you had to have a mediator. And it was illegal to print the word of God and his truth in any other language. You could be put to death for it. All right, so the reformation of the church and all the history that comes forward is super important. It was, it was wonderful to allow us to get to experience God a little closer. But they had some misguided intentions of keeping things holy, and worship, in essence, was stolen a little bit from the people. And when you take worship away from the people, when you take the ability to enter into God's presence, it feels like a piece of our identity is missing. So obviously this breaks my heart, this frustrates me a little bit, and I want to say like, kind of like my son, right? I love my son. I would take many, 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 many bullets for him. But there are times where he frustrates me because he doesn't listen, he doesn't obey, and most of the times I'm getting frustrated because I want the best for him. I want him to listen because I want good things for him, and he doesn't. Can you imagine how Jesus feels knowing that he died on the cross to give us direct access to, to him and to the Father? 
and we're still somewhat tied up because we don't know who we are in our identity. I, I, I titled the message in, in, within the Freedom Series content, I, I, I wanted to call it Free to Worship, but I really decided that it makes more sense to say Free to Carry, and you'll see why as we, as we continue to dive in. Jesus died so we'd have direct access to him in the presence of God. I, I also thought about all the other things that have become mediators, maybe in the not normal day church, not just priests, right? But I think Pastor Ricky could become a mediator if you let him. The worship service that happens on just Sunday could become a mediator to you entering to the presence of God, as if you need those things to enter in his presence. I always refer back, or I think back on the story of Pastor Ricky and how he got saved, and he was by himself in an apartment very, very far from Jesus, and all he did was open up an old crusty Bible and start praying, and Jesus met him right there. No middlemen needed, no church service needed, no music, no lights, nobody to, to pray over him, just him and God. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen? I think about on Sundays when we, when we allow these things to become our mediators, and I remember a great statement that I always say, but really dug into me, which is worship was never made to be a spectator sport, not for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. I think sometimes we get good intentions like we've seen in the history of the church and the history of the Israelites. We have good intentions in our actions, but we can sometimes twist the godly purposes originally intended. So I want, I want some participation so you see this. By show of hands, who wants to be used by God? All right, keep your hands up if you still agree. Who wants to be used by your spouse? Who wants to be used by the church? by your government. See? We have this mentality that we need to be used, kind of like a tool, right? And what do we do in tools when they break? We throw them out or we replace them for a better one. And this mentality is so dangerous because it puts us at odds with some, the things that God has called us to do. Like, oh, I won't sing in worship because Andrews is singing. And he's got a much better voice, so obviously he's a better tool to be used by God. I wanted to tell you that God didn't create you so that he could use you. He created you so that he could know you. Religion teaches us that our function determines our worth and our identity. I am because I do. But worship teaches us that our identity determines our worth and our function. I do because I am. Those on the platform and those on the floor were all meant to worship Jesus with one heart. There is no invisible wall that qualifies anybody on this platform or anybody on staff or anybody in leadership that's different from accessing Jesus the same way you are. The bottom line is our Christian credentials are exactly the same through Jesus. Amen? That is good news for you. So what if I told you, believing all of this, what if I told you that as Christians, we're all called to be worship leaders? It has little, in fact, almost nothing to do with music, but everything to do with presence. In 1 Peter, Peter addresses this with the crowd as all these groups of new believers are coming into, into Christianity. And he says this, if you've got your Bibles in, in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter was talking to the, to the group of people who at that time really understood uh, the differences between the royal priests, those that were special and chosen and could enter into the presence of God, the middlemen, right? He was referring back to them. And in this scripture, he's saying, but you are chosen now. And when he refers to the royal priesthood, that's you as you've entered into a relationship with Jesus. Do you know that? That you are called into a royal priesthood, a spiritual race, I think Christians together are a royal priesthood, right? In Israel, under the law, one tribe, just the Levites, were given the tasks of serving as priests, performing the duties of mediators between God and the rest of the nation. Very few held the responsibility of actually coming into God's presence. But in and through Christ the King, all believers are priests with direct access to the Father, and we need no other mediator. So church, I wanted to ask you guys today, how do we view ourselves? As a spectator or as a priest? I was talking to Lindsay this week and when I had, I had asked her that, and it felt heavy. It's like, she's like, oh yeah, I'm not a spectator until I said, are you a priest? Oh, uh, I don't, mm, that sits heavy. And I think it should, I think it feels heavy for all of us because it's what God's calling us to do but there's a birthright in that that gives us strength, that gives us power, that gives us our identity. If you don't see yourself as a priest in the royal family of Jesus, then how can you carry out the things that he's calling you to do? How can you even worship fully if you don't know who you are in his presence? So I wanted to talk about that today. I couldn't just leave us at worship because worship even in the modern day church, you ask somebody what is worship and you get a lot of different answers. But so much of worship is tied into our identity. And Peter's saying right here that Jesus died to bring us into the royal priesthood. We need to start seeing ourselves as priests. So I might ask today, just to put you on the line, if you're a Jesus follower, ask like, who are you? And you've got to say, I'm a priest. You want to try it? Who are you, church? Mm, so good. So I wanted to take us through some of the job descriptions of a priest, starting with how they did it in, in the Bible times. I remember priests were used to facilitate getting into the presence of God. One of the first things that priests were called to do were to steward the meeting place. They would steward the meeting place so that people could enter into the presence of God. Look at what it says in Numbers 149 specifically regarding the Levites, those Levitical priests of the time. You must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was another word for tent. That's where they met. In charge of the tabernacle of the covenant law over all of its furnishings and everything belonging to it, they are to carry the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, sorry. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set it up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who approaches it is to be put to death. 
The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions, each of them in their own camp under the standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the covenant law. There's a lot there, but one of the main things that jumped out at me reading that is God put a lot of importance into entering into his presence. The census that they're talking about at the very beginning is a census for war, right? The Israelites were preparing to go into the promised land and God had them take a census of all the men and the women as they were preparing to have their numbers in place, right? I don't know if you know that. You need numbers when you're gonna go take some land. But he specifically calls out the tribe of Levi, these royal priests, to be separated from the census. God did not want them involved in the war on the practical. He wanted them involved in the war on the spiritual. Out of all, if you look through, through numbers, there's a lot of numbers of different tribes that are called out and only the Levites are called to, for this specific special task. And it highlights that God himself thought it was so critical in winning the war that he'd have to separate them entering his presence. Everything began with worship. They had no chance of winning this, a, a war without Jesus amidst them. I also thought it was interesting that the Levites were called to set up and tear down. Did you guys catch that? I could not help to think of us, church. I couldn't help but think of all the volunteers that are here, 6.30 a.m. every single Sunday. I thought about our setup and our teardown team. I thought about our small group hosts when we were running those and they're opening their homes to people. I thought about the kids volunteers and the hosts and the greeters and the parking lot team and I wanted to encourage you. You're stewarding the meeting place. If you didn't know that before, know it now. You are stewarding the meeting place so that people can come into the presence of Jesus. Worship does not start when the music starts or when somebody with a microphone steps on the platform. Worship starts at 6.30 in the morning when you guys are here putting in your time for the sake of others, putting in your time because Jesus has called you to be obedient, to set up this place. We're called priests. There's our huge importance and weight and value that you hold as a volunteer when you're coming in and serving the kingdom of God. You're stewarding the meeting place. The second thing that God called the priests to do was to carry the presence. And Peter talks about this in the tension as well, a little bit further before the verse I had read previously. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's referencing another point that they would be really familiar with. The Israelites took the temple and they made it into a big, important piece, right? There's so many stories when they're trying to rebuild it because it was, to some degree, before Jesus, it was a mediator. It was a middleman. They had to go into the temple because they needed the priest to enter into the presence of God. But what he's saying here is Jesus was the living stone and that you also are living stones. You're carrying his presence in you. There's no more need for a physical, spiritual temple. But wherever you go, the temple goes with you because of he who you carry within you. He describes this, Peter's describing the spiritual house of God as a building. Jesus is the perfect foundation stone that God has chosen for the house. 
And those who trust in him are also living stones used to build the house. In addition, we individually serve as both priests and spiritual sacrifices. Our lives are offered to the builder. Israel had a temple, but Christians also have one. Our temple is spiritual, and we ourselves are that temple. And you as a priest, as a Christian, carry the presence of God with you, so anywhere you go can become an opportunity for people to meet with God. What would that look like for us outside of a Sunday service, outside of this location where we meet? What would happen if we truly believed and embraced the truth that everywhere we went, we carried the presence of God and gave others opportunity to meet God? I've fallen into this trap so many times where I'd have to step into a worship service or a church set or a church building and all of a sudden, oh, now I can access God in his presence. That is such a lie and it's such a trick. Because if you believe that, then that means the moment you walk off of this campus, you're no longer tied to Jesus. You no longer have access to his power and his peace and his love and his joy. And if you can't access that, you can't share that with this world that so desperately needs it. Church, I want to encourage us to believe that this morning. We carry the presence of God. What does that look like when you're at Walmart or at Publix or you're in your own home? or you're in your neighbor's home, or you're outside at a park, or you're engaging in conversations with people, if you could constantly be reminded of who you carry within you, I think we'd make a great difference and change in our communities, wouldn't you say? The third thing that the priests were called to do is they were called to minister to God. So as I was studying, I, I, I came across this, this really important point where the second most used Greek word in the Bible that meant to worship is latreu, which means to minister to God. There's not a single word in the Bible, in either Greek or Hebrew, that includes this idea that ministry is for mankind. I was like, the bottom line is, worship was meant for Jesus and God. Worship was not made for us. (laughs) We've kind of marketed to people what was really for God. I think this is one of the things where I felt most convicted and even frustrated a little bit with myself. I think we have, we have taken something that was intended to be pure and for Jesus, and we've, we've kind of, especially in our day and age, we've kind of put this Christian consumerism mentality on it, where we've turned it all inward. It's all about me. All the music should be about me. If I don't like this type of music, then, oh, I can't, I can't worship. Oh, I don't like the way that their lights are. I can't worship. I don't like the environment. I don't like the sound. Obviously, a lot of my examples are going to come from the worship standpoint because I've heard all the comments through all the different years. I've definitely been guilty of this idea and actions falling. I made worship about me. Our preferences, our tastes, our comforts, our opinions. When the truth is, we carry the presence of God, we should be able to worship forever, right? If, if no one worships, he says that the rocks themselves will start crying out in worship. And I do not want to be replaced by a bunch of pebbles. I also wanted to say this. I feel like when we, when we turn the script and we're like, oh, worship is for me, it's for God. As if he's a selfish God and as if he hasn't thought of everything through. God loves people. He sent his only son to minister to us and to save us. But if we're going to be about our father's business, we first need to be about ministering to him. 
I thought about the differences between King Saul and King David, and it wasn't the main difference between the two. The fact that David ministered to the heart of God while Saul disobeyed God so that he could minister to the needs and preferences of his people. David, who had messed up many, many times, but is referred to as a man after God's own heart. That encourages me a lot. I don't know about you, but I mess up daily. And I'd like to think that at the end of my days, when I stand before God, that he would look at me as someone who pursued his heart above all things. Pursued his heart above the opinions of others, even the people that are closest to you, your families, your children. I think sometimes those are the hardest people to push to the side in priority of what God's asking you to do, in priority of how God views things. I thought a lot about our church and how at Brave we certainly strive to serve our community and each other with excellence. If you've hung around with me any any period of time you realize I'm super analytical, I'm a little bit type A, I'm a check the box guy and I love winning. I hate losing anything. So I can't stand doing something half-heartedly or mediocre. And I see a lot of those, those attitudes and everything that we do as a church. We serve with excellence, right? Excellent children's programs and first impressions team and parking lots and we keep things clean and we have good music and we have aesthetics. But if it's missing God's presence, it means absolutely nothing. We're nothing more than a really nice Christian country club if we don't have God's presence. We become a, a clique within ourselves. Let's not stifle Jesus and his presence. My favorite thing is, and I don't, feel, I don't even feel like a shameless plug, is the nine o'clock morning prayers that have been happening every Sunday are so powerful because there's nothing to it outside of Jesus and his people meeting. There's so much power when we remove all the distractions, all of the things that are holding us back from what God has. This world's really good at keeping us busy and keeping us distracted. And I know at Brave, you've certainly felt the shifts over the past year or so, but even over the past five years, as a church staff and as we, as, we, as we meet weekly and as we meditate on what's God trying to do and as we pursue his heart and we talk to Pastor Ricky, we've definitely learned that our success is not in the things of ministry. And filling these seats and meeting the needs of people are two very different things. And we need Jesus' presence to fulfill what he's truly called us to do. What I love about ministering to God is it's, it, he's so good in his completion of things. It's not just for him. When we minister to God, he comes down. You notice that? When you call on God and you're fully in faith, believing that he shows, he always shows up. And God, in his nature, cannot help but, the, but changing the room he's in. When God's presence comes down because we're ministering to him, he comes, right? He's enthroned amongst the praises of his people and where God is, anything is possible. Healing happens in the presence of the healing God. Salvation happens in the presence of the Savior. Captives are set free in the presence of the deliverer. Growth happens, transformation happens, restoration happens, and prayers are answered. All because of his presence. Without him, we can't do any of that. I think sometimes, church, we've allowed our good intentions to mislead us, like so many of the other churches in history. In Israel, and this is not a bash on churches. Obviously, I love our church, but 
but I'm sometimes frustrated and heartbroken of what we've allowed things to steer off course. And I think that's what God is speaking to me, speaking to us as a church. He wants to set us back. But we've allowed good intentions to mislead us. We want to see the lost come to Jesus. I think we are absolutely in line with that. We want to see the lost come to Jesus. It's one of the things that he prepared us with the gospel for, to go out. But in turn, we've removed God's presence from the equation, thinking that it will attract the world into our church. And I am not saying this about Brave Church, but I have seen it. Unfortunately, it's a reality that I've even been a part of and I've had to repent and feel convicted of because maybe I wasn't, I just didn't know any better. But I've been a part of services where, ooh, can we dilute the Jesus a little bit because we might scare off the, new, uh, the people who don't know Jesus? Man, the world is lost, guys, but they're not blind. They know what's real when they see it. I also thought it'd be funny. I was like, they're coming to church. Like, you figure they, they know what they're walking into. They didn't just wake up and stumble in. If you did, I'll pray with you after. But this statement kind of swelled up in me. Why, why should the lost follow a God that the church won't even worship? I think this message is for us as a church, but it's also to highlight the things that we want for the church, right? For the non-believer, for the person, for our friends, for our families that are lost. I was like, we need to show them the presence of God because we won't change them just by inviting them to sing some songs with us. We won't change them by just having them sit in a seat. I think I love asking uh, my friends that are unsaved or non-believers what their feedback was when they came to church. And at first, when I was younger, I would think, oh, they were like, oh, the music was great. I'm like, and? And I started feeling like that response and that compliment was a little empty. As I got older and I realized, man, what I really wanted was for them to respond, God, wow. Like, I'm in awe of Jesus. I'm in awe of God. That, that, That compliment where, oh man, the worship blessed me. Even that to some degree wasn't enough. I was like, I wanted Jesus to bless you. I want Jesus to meet with you. I was like, the the worship time and segment can can be faded away and can be scattered throughout the week, but if you carry the presence of God, that'll change everything. There's no way to leave unscathed. But they're not gonna follow a God that we won't worship. And they don't know outside of what they see. So I love seeing the church through the eyes of a non-believer, through the eyes of somebody who's coming in for the first time because they're so raw and they're so real. They will either experience an authentic presence of God or they won't. They'll either see a show or a performance or some kind of task being marked off or they'll see Jesus working in the midst. And I believe Jesus is here and he's working in us. And when we worship him, when we call him down and his presence there, he changes everything around. Amen. I love that when we worship God and we minister to him, he shows up and he ministers to us. The fourth thing that the priests were called to do were to bless the people. And I wanted to, I wanted to highlight a little bit of what the word blessed means because blessing people is not giving them warm and fuzzies when you tell them something nice. It is not just praying for them to have a good feeling. Biblical blessings would always catalyze destiny in people's hearts. 
it would propel them forward, pushing them towards the things that God had for them. That was the best, the best types of prayers I had when I was younger and I would be prayed for in church. I, I grew up as like a church kid. Um, I didn't act like a church kid all the time, but I did grow up in the church. And when people would pray biblical blessings for me, I remember it would always do two things. It would make me feel a little convicted because it made me feel like, oh, I'm supposed to do something or oh, I'm supposed to turn from this. And at the same time, it made me feel very seen Seen in only a way that God could see. So many times the prayers over me would, would have certain comments or would kind of allude to something that the person praying had no idea. But I knew, and God knew. The deepest depths of my heart were being revealed in those prayers and there were desires that were being birthed in me and that conviction was being used by God to kind of turn me towards that and push me forward. See, blessings will catalyze your destiny in the, in the things that God has put in your heart. An authentic word of blessing never leaves somebody where, they, where you found them. It always develops people. It always stretches people. It always pushes them forward. It doesn't just leave them feeling warm and fuzzy and then create no change. Half of a priest's job was worshiping God, and the other half was helping others to worship God. Look at how important this was in, in, in 2 Kings 17. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He, he isn't God, has sent lions among them, which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order. Well, have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship. So in this story, Israel had once again turned their back from God. They were scattered and the people that had come in and replaced God's land had no idea how to worship. So this king in, in wisdom said, well, grab one of the priests who know what the God of this land requires and bring them back and have them teach. Have them teach the people what he requires and God removed the lions from their midst. He blessed the people by teaching them how to worship. It's one thing to say something and it's another to do something and a blessing does both. You'll say some encouragement and, and the Holy Spirit will speak, but the things that happen on the inside will, will cause life change, will cause a, a redirection, will cause a propelling forward. So church, what does this all mean for us? What does this mean for you? In which area do you feel like God's prompting you to grow in? I was like, maybe you feel prompted by God to, to pick up and serve on a team, right? Stewarding the meeting place. Maybe you feel prompted to carry the presence in your family by praying outside of a Sunday, outside of a circle group of prayer, reading your Bible, sharing your testimony. How many of our neighbors actually know our testimony? How many of our neighbors actually know our, anything outside of our names, how many kids we have? what we like to do for work, what we like to do for fun. How many of them know the marks that Jesus has left in our lives? How Jesus has changed our history? 
Maybe you need to change your view on how you worship on Sundays and begin singing and lifting up adoration to God as you minister to him and not yourself. And I'll take it a step further. Maybe we need to begin or you need to feel the prompting to begin worshiping in your house. I know for me, that's something I felt strongly about. It's really easy to worship here because we've set a time and a place. But how often do I worship in my own living room? How often do my kids get to see me worship Jesus with no stage, with no microphone, with no lights? How often do your children see you worship Jesus with nothing other than his presence? Maybe you also feel prompted you're here for the first time and you don't even know Jesus yet. And your next step is to simply invite him in to turn your life over to him so you can experience this presence and this life change and the world that you're living in. Maybe you need to take a step in all of them. I'm excited for the blessing that God wants to pour into your life because it should propel you forward into what he has for you. Every single person in this room, every single person watching online, hearing this truth, there's a purpose. There's, there's ideas and plans and things that God has for you, but he need, everything starts with worship. He needs you in his presence so that he could fulfill those things in you. Very good things. I didn't want to just share all of this information with us and share all of these truths and then just leave us. I wanted to set up some time even today that we could reflect on these truths, reflect and give the Holy Spirit some time so he could prompt us into the directions that he wants us to lean in. Essentially, I want to bless you. I love the, uh, I wanted to share this because I thought it was so evident. The worship team is a team that honestly uh, wants to bless you. I know I I can speak for myself where so often I'm not singing these songs at you. I'm not singing these songs for you. Many times in my heart, I'm singing these songs over you. I'm praying over each and every one of your families. I see the faces looking back at me. I know some of the stories and the Holy Spirit is always leading me into wanting to so desperately to bless you, not because I have anything, but because he has everything. His presence fills this room and everything changes. So as the Holy Spirit is leading us even now and prompting us in our next steps, he doesn't leave us where he found us. I wanted to bless you. I wanted to pray over you in my favorite way. So even now, I've asked the band to to help me in this segment, but I want to pray over you. I want to bless you. I want to pray for the future that God has for you, the plans that God has for you. And I would ask that you would go to him, do what you need to do in this time, close your eyes, lift your hands, seek him in his presence as we pray over you, as we bless you. And let God take you, settle the things in your heart, and go forward. I love this song because it pushes things forward. Pushes things forward in your life. Can we pray for him? Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Would you speak to us even now as we're opening our hearts and our minds and our ears to you and your voice? Let your voice not not be the loudest voice, be the only voice.
keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you, and give you peace. Lord, bless you, and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious.
most of all, we're grateful for what you're doing inside of us. That when we leave these four walls, none of it matters. Nothing sits here alone, God. That we here allowed us to carry your presence forward for the things that you've called us to. And we're so grateful for your blessings and your provisions and your guidance and your leading and your love that covers all things. It covers all of our failures. It covers all of the gaps. It covers all of the doubts when we're trying to seek you out and we think we can't do it. God, bless us and propel us forward into the things you've called us to. Let us be bold in responding to you. And let us be left in awe and wonder of your presence and the things that you do through our obedience. In Jesus' name.